This morning we're reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. This is titled, Naomi Loses Her Husband and Sons. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she called them, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. 
arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Thanks, John. Good morning, everybody. Happy January 2018. Amazing. Here we are in a new year. As Pastor Darrell said, we want to commence a series for the next four weeks, the whole of January. We're looking at the book of Ruth. Trust God's going to really speak to us powerfully through this book as well. Let's just pray it again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this written word that we have we're blessed to have this in our own possession we thank you may we seize the opportunity lord to read it and to dwell upon it each day help us to be as the psalmist lord day and night i meditate on your word on your law help us to be people of the book and we pray that this morning that you will open our ears our hearts lord our whole being to you that you may speak that we may listen and then apply what you say to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that we're in the storm season. And I've got to tell you that one of the most fascinating um, features of a storm system, you see Gary to put that up now. I want you to have a look at this and you tell me what catches your eye straight away when you look at that picture. Uh, well, for me, it's the eye of the storm. You know, from satellite pictures, um, it appears as a very distinctive hole in the middle of a mass of swirling clouds. Hopefully, we don't see too many of those over Queensland too soon, eh? But while the winds in these storm systems can reach, you know, 100, 200 plus kilometres an hour with lightning and driving rain and wind and all that sort of stuff, the eye of the storm is relatively calm. Um, it's a place that, that hardly has any wind or hardly any cloud. It's an amazing part of the amazing feature of this storm system so you could she could describe it as a place of calm surrounded by chaos and you know this is how i see the book of ruth it's the eye of the storm let me explain it's the eye of the storm a place of calm surrounded by chaos so when we look at the setting of this book uh, the context of the book of Ruth, we see as verse 1 actually says that it's during the days when the judges ruled. And those days, as, mo as probably many of you would know, is, was characterised by chaos. Moral and spiritual degeneracy was rampant, along with national disunity, which opened the way for foreign invasion and the oppression of Israel. Basically, from the time of Joshua's death after he leading his people into the promised land to the appointment of Saul as Israel's first king, it was a very stormy and chaotic period in Israel's history where the people had no real strong godly leader or government. It just wasn't there after Joshua. And the last verse of the last chapter of Judges, I think, kind of sums it up. Have a look at that. Judges 21-25 says this, In those days, Israel had no king. Look at the next bit. Everyone did as he thought, as he saw fit. I mean, what a recipe for anarchy and strife, if ever there was. And we know pretty much the story, the pattern of Judges. Repeatedly, Israel turned away from God. They did evil in his sight. They provoked God to anger. 
He would then hand them over to invading forces as discipline, as punishment and so on. Then they would cry out to God and he would then raise up a judge or a deliverer for his people. And that was the pattern. So it was a very turbulent, uh, violent and unsettled time for Israel. Brought on, by the way, brought on by their own disobedience to God. But the eye of this storm is the story of Ruth. According to one Bible scholar, the book of Ruth, though the author of the book is unknown, but the, but the, the book of Ruth has been described as the, mo, as the most beautiful short story ever written. What an amazing claim. And I can probably go along with that. Maybe you can too. The most beautiful sto short story ever written. But I also want to tell you that also beautiful, in my opinion, is the fact that Ruth became the great-grandmother of David, which therefore made her an ancestress to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? How amazing. So what do we find in this first chapter of Ruth? What's this all about? Well, firstly, I think if you or I were to put ourselves in the shoes of Naomi, uh, you probably would not have felt that you were in any eye of the storm, but that you're in the thick of the storm itself, being buffeted and belted around. Because you see, in the first five verses of this chapter, we see a family of four doing it very tough indeed. They left their own people, their own country, because of famine. And they headed to a foreign land called Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. Moab was a traditional enemy of Israel. I want you to kind of think with me, have a little, few little think spots along the way as we go through this, this chapter. Not only was it sad that they felt the need to leave their own God-given land, but more to the point, who told them to leave? Oh, it's a famine, of course they had to leave, but who told them to leave? Did they consult the Lord? Did they inquire of the Lord as to what they should do should they leave? Did they do that? We don't see any of that happening. To go to Moab? You see, God's already spoken about Israel's association with the Moabites. He said that in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3. It says this, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. And, and verse 6 of Deuteronomy 23, do not seek a treaty or friendship with them as long as you live. Mm. You know, sometimes what may seem to be the obvious practical choice or reaction to make in a situation that we find our lives in, what may seem to be the obvious choice may not necessarily be the right choice. What seems to be a reaction may not be the right action at all to take. What does the Lord say about this situation? What is he saying about our circumstance? A famine in Israel doesn't necessarily mean you automatically move to Moab. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Abraham made the same mistake. 
when in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10, there was a famine during his time. And what did he do? Well, he just moved to Egypt. And look at all the strife that he went into there with the, at Egypt with his wife Sarah and all the other stuff that went on. Did God say to go to Egypt? I don't think so. And so there's one of those little points just to have a stop and to think about. What's God saying to you in your circumstances at the moment? What choices have you made? And can I ask you have you, have you, have you, have you made time to inquire of God? Have you had that time where you say, Lord, what are you saying to me in my circumstances? Because this is what I feel like doing, but I don't have a complete peace about that or I'm not sure about that. Lord, what are you saying to me in my circumstances? What are you saying to me in this famine that I'm experiencing in my own life at the moment? You know, it's so essential, brothers and sisters, so essential that as we move into 2018, that we keep on knowing, that we keep on growing in the word of God. Keep knowing God's word. Keep knowing him. Keep growing in his word. Know what his word says. Keep growing in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet with him. Be passionate with him. Because he wants to be passionate with you. How essential that we have this growing, developing relationship with God. That we learn to listen for his voice. Not just the clatter in our own ears of our own voices perhaps. Or someone else's for that fact. But how important that we listen for his voice in our lives. That we recognise his voice and you will recognise his voice as you spend time with him. As you develop and grow. As you hunger for God, as you nurture that relationship with the Lord Jesus in the word of God and in prayer, you will get to hear his voice. Know him. Know what he says. I like what Warren Wearsby says. He makes a valid point about this whole thing, actually. He says, he says, no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, the safest and best place to be is in the will of God. Best to be with Jesus in the storm than to be in the calm with someone else, the devil. Best to be with Jesus in the storm than to be anywhere else in the calm, if you like, or with anyone else. Just things to think about. Look, in verse 3, tragedy strikes Naomi's husband. Elimelech loses his life. Naomi only, Naomi only has two sons who marry Moabite women. One's called Orpah. The other was Ruth. And then tragedy strikes again. What a storm they're going through. In verse 5, when Naomi's two sons both die. These were now very desperate times for Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. You see, no such thing back then as social benefits, no such things as widow pensions, uh, no such things as life insurance. How would they survive? These were desperate times. <clears throat> because you see, the men... <clears throat> Back in that time and back in that culture, they were the providers. They were the breadwinners. And families would starve to death if there were no men in that family. <clears throat> Pardon me. How would they survive? Naomi was an old widow. She couldn't bury again. She was without children. No sons. Basically no family. Although Ruth and Orpah were, were still with her at that time, and I don't think that brought her much comfort. 
And on top of it all, she was in a foreign land. And I think that Naomi would have felt very much alone and empty. And I think she would have been scared. She certainly was bitter about her whole situation because she says that, doesn't she? Chapter tw uh, verse one, uh, 20 and 21, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She says something similar in verse 13. You know, and again, how sad it must be for so many people today, perhaps people that we know, as they enter 2018, to feel like Naomi, to feel like life has dealt them an unfair and a bitter hand. And they're not looking very forward at all to 2018 because of their circumstances. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe I'm talking to someone who's like that right now. The future looks so hopeless and, you know, and God and, and God so often gets the blame for all of that as well. Hey, but have you noticed, but have you also noticed how often it seems that when in these dark and stormy times and the clouds of darkness begin to surround us, at just the right time it seems, God breaks into this. He breaks through with his merciful rays of light and hope into our lives. Reminds me again of that verse that Paul wrote the Romans about when he wrote in, in chapter 5 of Romans verse 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When there seemed to be absolutely no hope, God God came. God broke into our hopelessness. And I believe that we have a God, folks, that delights to break into our powerlessness, likes to break into our hopelessness with his empowering love and, and with, his, with, his, with his hope that he gives us. You see, this is what he did for Naomi in verse 6. Look at verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. And again, it's interesting, you know, that, that God always has the big picture. Did, did you know that? He always has the big picture in mind for his children. It's so much more than, than we do for ourselves. I think our picture is very small. And I think God's is infinitely a lot bigger. And, you know, he does have the big picture. Even when we make mistakes and we make wrong decisions, God's ways are so much greater and higher. And I'm so glad about that, aren't you? Listen to what these beautiful words are in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Let's remind ourselves again. This is what God says to us today. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can you tell me how high, how far is earth from heaven? How high is that? That's pretty high, isn't it? So much is God's thoughts than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. We just got to trust him. You know, Naomi had no idea what God had in store for her or her daughters-in-laws. Obviously, she didn't, especially for Ruth. 
No idea at all. And you know, that's the question I guess it's good for us to ponder. What might God have in store for you in 2018? What's he got in store for our church in 2018? Do you trust him? Are you trusting him with your life? Church, are we trusting him? Really? Because we know that he has the big picture. The plan. He has the plan for your life. Your life. My life. Because you see, his ways are and his thoughts are much higher than yours or mine. And for Naomi, all she knew was that she was in need Desperate need. And God, once again, had revealed himself as being the God who comes to the aid of his people. It was a time to go home. Back to her people. Back to where God was meeting needs. God, back to where God was really revealing his blessing. Want to be in that. I want that blessing, Lord. Don't seem to be getting it over here. Perhaps I'm, in the, perhaps I'm in this place of disobedience. Perhaps I'm outside of your will. I don't feel your blessing. <clears throat> but I see your blessing over there. Perhaps I need to go back to where I once was with you. It was time for Naomi to go back to where God was meeting needs. Even though at that time, even though at that time, she felt that God's hand was against her. Verse 13. And you know, feelings are important. God gives us feelings. But we've got to learn to use them wisely. Because they don't always give a true or reliable picture of what God is actually doing in our lives. Correct? That's why Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. But I tend to believe that if we're honest, most times I think we tend to live by sight more than we do by faith. And then we find in verses 8 to 13 that Naomi realises that as far as her two Moabite daughters-in-law are concerned, it would be better for them to stay on and go back to their own country to remarry and, and to return, than to return with her to what would certainly be a, a life of emptiness, hardship and, and, and possibly death. That's how Naomi perceived it to be in her old age. And so we have this very tender and this very emotional dialogue that, can, that, 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 that takes place, continues with weeping and with hugging to where it says in verse 14, at this they wept again. Sounds like our pastoral care meetings, actually. Weeping and hugging. At this they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah eventually sees the logic of Ruth, the logic of her, of, of, sorry, of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She says, that makes sense. Probably isn't much benefit in going back with you. I don't know if life would be all that good with you. Anyway, she sees the logic in it and she says goodbye. <clears throat> but Ruth, Ruth would not separate from Naomi, regardless of what the consequences were. And again, was all this just incidental? Was it just, you know, 
Do things just happen by chance to us in our lives when we belong to him? Is it all just by chance? Is it all just haphazard? Listen, when God looks at you and me, what he sees, I believe, is beautifully captured in the words of the psalmist. When he says in Psalm 139 and verse 16, for example, listen to this. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Ponder these words. Look at the next one. All the days. How many of those days, folks? All the days. All the days. Ordained for me. Were written in your book before one of them came to be. When you read verses like that, when you read scripture like that, then you've got to say there's nothing, for me as a child of God, happens by accident. Happens without any reason. God passionately and purposefully plans for every human life and family as they submit to him. He's why he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And likewise here for this little family where Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi so powerfully and so beautifully is expressed by her words in verses 16 and 17. I want to read them again because they are very powerful words. What a confession. Listen to these words again. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Can you imagine Ruth saying that? Naomi's going, wow. How can you argue with that? What a confession. What a confession. Not only are these words of Ruth a beautiful expression of a commitment to stay with Ruth, to st- sorry, to stay with Naomi, to stay with a mother-in-law, but they're also a magnificent, powerful confession of her commitment to follow Naomi's God and to be with his people. This is one of the most magnificent confessions in all of Scripture. It really is. One of the most magnificent confessions in the all, all of Scripture. Ruth was prepared to forsake her own people, their gods and their culture and whatever else, their whole way of life, to remain a widow if necessary, to die if it was going to be that way. She was prepared to forsake all of that in order to follow the God of her mother-in-law. That's how I see it. It's what you call an Old Testament conversion. And again, the thing that's amazing to me as you read this story, you're trying to get a handle on, on what was going on in Naomi's life. But somehow in the midst of all the hardship, brokenness and hurt that Naomi was experiencing, there was still something about her faith. There was something about Naomi's faith. There was something about Naomi's lifestyle and her influence that God was still using powerfully as a powerful witness 
in Ruth's life. And here's another little question for us to ponder. Who might God have watching you in 2018? Who might he bring across your path? Who might be kind of in the wings? You might not even be fully aware that there are eyes upon you. Someone watching your life. Someone trying to sum you up. Someone trying to say, is your religion real? Or are you a phony like so many others? Are you for real? Does this religion of yours really work? Can I really put my trust in that? God that you speak about? That I see in your life? Are you for real? Does your faith work? I wonder if there's people like that right now who are watching you, observing your life. I know our kids do. I know our grandchildren do. Isn't that scary? And you know, the reality is that we don't always get it right. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we will always get it right. But you know what? I don't think Naomi always got it right either. But look how God used her. She'd been away. But now she was back. And I've got to ask the question this morning. Could it be that I'm talking to someone here this morning and you've been away? You've been away from the Lord. You've kind of taken a holiday, if you like. You've just drifted. You've been away. And this morning, you need to come back. It's time to come back. And the Lord is saying to you, you need to come back. He wants you back. He loves you too passionately to leave you out there. You've been away. You need to come back. And you know what that means in your own life. What does it mean for you that you've been away? You've been out of fellowship. You may not have been away in terms of your faith. You still believe in the Lord, but you've been away. You need to come back. If God's speaking about that today... I believe there are things in your life that God wants to put his finger on, but you need to come back. You might need to talk to one of the pastors here this morning or someone else and pray. You need to come back. In fact, the interesting thing is that when Naomi and Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem, and if you hear at the uh, Christmas Eve service, Bethlehem means house of bread. <laughs> interesting, isn't it? House of food, house of bread is Bethlehem. When they arrived back in Bethlehem, they were greeted by her people who knew Naomi very well. And Naomi's still hurting. She responds by saying these words in verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Naomi means pleasant, by the way. We've got a daughter called Naomi, and I think she's pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. She said, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So that's how she's coming back. But she came back. 
And, you know, while we understand her feelings of grief and we understand, you know, we, a lot of us can, you know, and the hurt that she's got, Naomi's life, along with her Moabite daughter-in-law, was nonetheless in the hand of a gracious, almighty, forgiving, sovereign God. As is yours and mine. Can you say amen to that? Is your life in the hand of God? Can you say that? Really? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Can you say that? And have that absolute confidence as you launch into 2018. God wants me back. <clears throat> I'm back with you, Lord. If you've been away, there would be changes. There would be beautiful changes, wonderful changes for both of these women, as we'll see in the following chapters as we get into that. And a hint that things are changing for them is given here in, as it concludes in chapter 1 with these magnificent words of promise when it says, Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The house of bread, once again, was starting to blossom. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. There's hope, there's promise here. But here's the thing, and there's two things I want to finish off with, just things to get us to, again, to provoke thinking, I guess. Two things. Firstly, more than just accepting the fact that sometimes there's a change of plans in our lives, when God's in control of your life, it's not a change of plans, it is a planned change by him. It's especially, I believe, rarely understood by us at the time. But it's always for the best. Oh, not just a change of plans. I don't know where it's all going to go. No. If you're in the hands of an almighty sovereign God, then it's a planned change he has for you. That's the first thing. Just to have a think about that. Do what you like with that one. And finally, and then I'll close with this. Finally, more than preferring to be in the eye of the storm... Lord, I don't want to be any storms. If anything, if I've got to be there, I want to be in the eye of the storm. I don't want that stuff. I don't want to be buffeted around. See, more than being in the eye of the storm, it's knowing that God has his eye on you in the storm. Do you get that? That, that? that will make all the difference for you in 2018. In every storm. And folks, can I just say, and I don't think I'm being prophetic by saying this, you will go through storms in 2018. Are you a human being? Yes, put your hand up if you are, human being. Um, some of you are. I'm not sure. I'm worried. Not sure what some of you others are. Who's living on planet Earth? Not some of you aren't. You're in the heavenlies. That's what it is. If you're a human being, you're really on planet Earth, you will go through storms in 2018. Don't look for the eye of the storm so much, but look for God who says, I have my eye on you in the storm. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you. May each of us go expectantly and with joyful confidence into 2018. Amen. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this, I guess, this introduction to the book. Thank you for these things, Lord, just these little, I think, think spots that you've given us along the way. Thank you for your word to us. And you're, you're doing stuff in human lives. You do because you're God. You're a father God who loves us so deeply, so passionately. You love us too much to leave us the way we are, but you want to take us on further. 
Grow us, Lord. Stretch us, just like you did to Naomi, even through the painful times. You show her that there's a harvest that's starting again. God's doing things in our lives. Father, we bless you. We trust you. God's doing things in our church. 2018, because of who you are, we can indeed face tomorrow with great hope and expectation. Remove from us, Lord, any feelings of doubt and fear and negativity, pessimism. May it be gone in the name of Jesus. And may we, with great confidence and boldness, face this new year, knowing you've already gone ahead of us, preparing the way for us, and here you are with us, as you've promised to be. Thank you for the things we've learned through this book and uh, through this first chapter. May you bless us as we continue to explore the other chapters and hear you speak to us individually and as a people of God here at SDBC. Bless you, Lord. We commit ourselves in your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen.